Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Have you ever felt stuck in a rut because you're dealing with a bad boss? Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut into a life worth living in your faith, family, and career. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and in this episode, we're going to be joined by Jim Salvucci. He's a professor, and he focuses and specializes in leadership development. He's on a mission to rid the world of bad bosses. So we're going to be talking about the things that leaders can do to be mission-driven, to be in line with positive values and uh, behaviors that just support team trust and growth and performance and all those good things. So sit back, relax, take some notes. Because chances are you're a leader and you want to just keep growing as a leader. And that is great. So I'm glad you're here. Here we go. Hello, Professor. How are you doing? I'm okay. Awesome. No, no one ever called me Professor. <laughs> I, I had to do it finally. And I've had professors on the show and I've never like... Uh, now, before the before we even got on the call, I was like, hello, Professor. But I, I wanted to make it sound like very villainy, but I, I botched that. <laughs> Anyway, we're moving on. <laughs> uh, thanks for calling in from New York. And uh, you know, we met through a platform called Podmatch, which uh, my audience should know by now. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, if a podcast directory and a dating site got together and had a baby, it'd be Podmatch. It links guests and podcast hosts together uh, to do shows like this. Uh, I use it for both. I use it as a host. I use it as a guest, and I've met a lot of great people, and, and uh, Dr. Savucci, you are one of them. And uh, so we're going to be talking about, uh, ultimately, you know, being a mission-driven leader, uh, how, you know, what are the nuances around that, uh, and uh, really, like, how that helps leaders really help all of us rid the world of the scourge of bad bosses, which is your mission statement on your website. Uh, now, I know your career has taken you through higher education. You were a, a university professor. Uh, you became a dean. Uh, you became uh, an administrator. So you've moved up the ranks a, in higher education. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, what was it that put you on this path to rid the world of the scourge of bad bosses? Because I'm pretty sure we've all uh, found ourselves in a rut where the core issue was the stress we were allowing a bad boss to put into us. So, like, what brought you to that mission? Well, precisely that. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for having me, Jerry. Um, so I'll tell you quickly my a, a little thumbnail sketch of my history. So I was an English professor at a university you never heard of outside of Baltimore. And I was asked to become the dean of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences, which was great, except for one thing. There was no School of Humanities and Social Sciences, oh, so wow. I had to found it. So my <laughs> first administrative position was to found a school. And at first, I was a little intimidated, but I realized it, putting together a school is ridiculously easy, right? It's just putting this with that and, you know, no big deal. What's hard is making it work. Right. <laughs> Putting it all together and getting the machine to run. Yeah. And that requires leadership. And I have tons of leadership experience going back to when I was a little kid in Boy Scouts. And but what I never done was I never really studied leadership. So I looked around and my bosses, frankly, were atrocious. And my peers were just flailing around my fellow deans. They didn't know what they were doing. 
I imitated them for a little while and I just realized they were just spinning their wheels. So I thought, okay, I don't really have any models. I need to, I need to learn about leadership. So I started treating leadership like my new discipline. My first discipline is English. And I started studying leadership and, you know, I read books, I went to conferences, you know, I did, I did trainings. I, I, you know, observed people I really admired and started putting together my own ideas about how leadership works and applying. Made a lot of mistakes, learned from my mistakes, learned from other people's mistakes as I went along. Um, eventually, I moved on from that institution and I went to a school where I was the chief academic officer, which is sometimes called the, the provost. Um, and this is somebody who reports directly to the president. And then I went on to another school after that to do the same thing. And then eventually I left higher ed altogether. The, when, when I left higher ed, I thought, well, what do I want to do? I really loved being an administrator. I actually really enjoyed that aspect of my job. And one, what I loved most about it was working with young leaders, making them realize how they had all this potential to be great leaders. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to work with young leaders and help them become great leaders. And I started thinking about, well, what really, there's, there's a, a, a um, personal branding exercise that Mike Kim, who's a, a great guru in personal branding, has put together. He calls a PB3. That's three questions. And the first one has a, a slightly rude word, but I'm going to use it. What pisses you off? What pisses me off? Well, bad bossing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's everywhere. You know, this idea, another thing that really pisses me off is we have this idea that bosses are leaders. There are, there are very few bosses who are leaders and even fewer who are great leaders. There are tons of leaders who will never be a boss, even great leaders who will never be a boss. Those two words have nothing to do with each other, but we use them interchangeably. We think, oh, this guy is the CEO. He must be a leader. No. That is not true. Those two things do not go hand in hand. So that pisses me off. The second question is about what, what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart is the damage that all these bad bosses do. The damage they do to individuals, the damage they do to their organizations. Frankly, the damage they do to themselves. They're usually pretty miserable in these jobs. Um, they may love the money. They may love the position. They may love the power. But you know, when push comes to shove, they're not happy people. And so finally, what can I do about it? What I can do is I can help rid the world of bad bossing by taking on one boss at a time and helping them become a great leader. And so that's what I chose to do. So I coach young leaders, middle managers, um, small company executives, even large company executives. Right now I'm working on a project with, with several partners and we are going to be working with K through 12 administrators where there's a lot of need for leaders. And we're going to teach them not to be managers, how to be leaders, how to, how to guide people, how to drive people, how to motivate people, how to inspire people, how to get people to do what needs to be done because they want to do it. I love that because, I mean, the old saying is that people don't leave their jobs. They leave their bosses. They leave their yeah. managers. And it is so true. I mean, when you look at the current data that uh, we had, what, 50.5 million people leave their jobs in 2022, which was greater than the great resignation in 2021. Uh, and the the top two reasons that Gallup came, I mean, Gallup gave like the top five. But when you read each of the line items, it falls into two buckets. Uh, I did not feel cared for at work. And I did not see opportunities for growth in my current role, which kind of falls into I didn't feel cared for at work as well. And so there's this onus of like my manager didn't make me feel like my work and my time was valued while I was there. Uh, and then when I talk to managers who are losing people, they're like, my company's doing some great efforts to curb this turnover tide um, and expel employee dissatisfaction. But while they're still figuring out their programs, I'm still losing people now. What can I do now to to stop this, to, to help my people feel engaged, cared for, and see those opportunities for growth without burning them out? And 
so that I don't have to burn out either. And and so it's just a big need for that right now. So I'm glad that you're working on it and uh, that we're we're kind of uh, birds of a feather in a sense because that is BTR Impact's mission as well. Not the exact word for word. That's pretty cool, and I can't steal it because you already got there first. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I love that you're doing that work. Uh, something that you shared with me in our, our time leading up to this interview was that you want to help leaders be mission-driven leaders. And uh, I love that because I have a leadership credo and I help leaders develop a credo, which is a statement of this is what I believe in. And I think a mission statement is that, but you say it in less words. (laughs) So what is a mission-driven leader? What does it mean to be driven by a mission statement as a leader? I mean, there's, there's, there's two types of mission statements, right? There's the organizational and then there's the personal. I see them as being pretty much aligned. If your personal mission is not aligned with your business mission, you perhaps want to look for a different business or change the business or change your personal mission. Something needs to give. Um, so, you know, we'll start with that. But let's talk about um, a, an organizational mission. If you work for a business, you work for a nonprofit, you work for an educational institution, by and large, there's usually some mission, often stated, um, not always. In educational institutions and nonprofits, they generally always are. Um, and I'll tell you a dirty secret about higher ed. You can put mission statement after mission statement side by side, and they all say the same thing with right. a few little tweaks. Um, but everyone's there for the same reason, right? So everyone's there ultimately to educate students, maybe at a, at a research institution, they're also to do research, but they're, they're there to educate, right? That is, the, that is the main goal. And so that becomes the rallying cry if you're a good leader. An organizational mission is a set of shared values. If you don't have a mission, you probably have some shared values and you tap into that. And what you're doing is you are using that to help your people at every single level, top to bottom, helping them understand why they're there, right? Start with why, Simon Sinek, right? Why are we here? What are we doing? Why are we doing these things? First off, if you're, they're doing something that doesn't answer that question or answers a different why, you probably want to change that. Right. And that, that's mission creep, right? Where you, you're doing things that aren't useful. Um, so you want to be working toward that mission. And what I found was so I worked with faculty. Faculty are notoriously difficult to motivate because they're very autonomous. They're very narrow board thinking thinkers by training and, and also by the reward system. It's not that's not a criticism. That's just a fact of the industry. And they um, they they tend to be very resistant. They have tenure. Um, they have protections. So it's really hard to motivate faculty. So what I started doing was I started using the university mission. I put it out every meeting. I would start with the university mission. I would talk about it with, I put it up on a, on a screen and we talk about it. And I would emphasize different parts and get into a discussion about the mission for like, you know, five minutes just to get them thinking in that way. And then everything we talked about, I would try to tie back to that mission, why we're doing this, what we're doing, what I need them to do. And what it does for, for the, for the employee is it helps them understand their role in the grand scheme. You know, at a university, the faculty are very powerful as a group, but they're not very powerful as individuals. They're all just cops, right? If somebody leaves, we'll just replace them, right? And that's like every worker everywhere. Yeah, they're highly trained, highly educated, intelligent, all those things. But ultimately, they could be replaced. And no one's a unicorn. So how do I fit into the grand scheme of things? How do I fit into this university? How do I, how do I fit into this business? Well, the mission should be able to answer that. Once they do that, they can actually start to see the big picture. And with faculty, that's remarkable because fa- faculty do not see the big yeah. picture. <laughs> they see their um, discipline. Like I said, yeah. they're very narrow, right? You know, 
they they wrote a PhD in this area and that's their area. Um, you know, but that's that's um that's what I used to do. I used to have them look at where they fit in and then they could understand the big picture, understand what we were doing and why. And then that motivated them to want to work on new things. And we started doing all these really innovative things. The same thing applies to a personal mission, right? You're tapping into your values and it's pretty obvious how that works. But, um, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're sticking to your values and you should be motivated by your values. If you don't find your values motivating, they're not your values. And there's a, ver- a variety of ways of identifying your values. One, one of my favorites is, and, and if you go to my website, um, guidanceforgreatness.com, you, you, and you sign up, you can get a, a free example of this, but it's just a way of identifying values via just s- sitting down and figuring out what is it I do on a daily basis and why, right? That those, those things that you do are probably tied into your values and what values do they, re- they reflect? I love that. And, uh, I've come across leaders in my career, you know, cause my, my career is around leadership development, team building, organizational, uh, culture, those kinds of things. And when you came across a department that, uh, was doing well, thriving. They had a leader in that position of manager or director who had a strong connection to the organization's mission. Whether or not they ever stated their own personal mission statement, they had that strong connection. Like you'd hear them say it as just part of their vernacular that, uh, you know, you know, I worked in a Catholic healthcare organization once and this guy would, often say, you know, to extend the healing ministry of Jesus Christ, we're going to do this project and take it to this level because of blah, 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 blah. He just infused it into his why of what we're doing that it, it reminded everybody that this isn't just a software update. This isn't just an inventory of supplies that we've got. What we're about to do ties into a ministry that goes on for thousands of years and we get to be part of this legacy. Like that was the real message he was say, sharing with this group of hired help, you know, the, the, the folks that sign on as nurses and uh, uh, nurse assistants and, and physicians and so on because of that, that mission statement being infused in there. And, uh, you know, you ask people, why are you doing this? It's I'm extending the healing ministry. Whether or not they were Christian or Catholic, they, they would still say the same thing just because they, they're like, I am extending help to the people who need it the most. And, and it's just to, to feel that sense of um, – being a part of something bigger uh, is, is just big. And, and you know, so I've seen that, you know, teams that do really well have a leader like that. And the teams that have the high turnover rate, the lowest engagement scores, if you asked that leader, what is the purpose of their work and why are they together? They can only give you answers like, well, it's because my boss asked for this, or it's because the president wants this to happen. Um, it, it's not even theirs. They don't even have a sense of ownership for it and 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 for that reason nobody else is on board either and and so i wonder how much have you seen that having a mission driven perspective helps create that sense of ownership yeah no i think it's it's key i think you know um mission and values are aligned that equals ownership right there um so i i used to when there's a a legendary uh mayor of baltimore or infamous depending on who you ask william <laughs> donald schaefer the guy who developed the inner harbor and he would ask people when they came to with an idea he would say how does this help people and i adopted that and i would ask people how does this help students right and that would help refocus what they were doing and keep them on and give them that sense of ownership because that's what they were there for they were there to help students whatever the role there. It didn't matter what office they were in or what department they were in or what they were, they were doing on campus. They were there to help students. 
Um, so yeah, absolutely. That is, that is key. It gives it that sense of ownership every time. Yeah. And of course, if you have that sense of ownership, then that sense of pride kicks in and you're willing to, to help make improvements and make uh, suggestions. You see that engagement go up. And when engagement goes up, it's not just turnover that we're stopping. We're, uh, we're making a better product, a better service. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of showing Jim here. I, I, I drink the Kool-Aid, man. I got this. This is cool. <laughs> and there's one other benefit. When someone isn't aligned, if they can't get aligned, then you know it's time for them to go. Yeah. One way. Yeah. Um, and, and that also helps a lot. And when you're hiring, you use your values, you use your mission with the hiring process so that people are on board right away. Um, and that's what fit is about. Fit's yeah. not about, I get along with you. Fit's, you know, although you want to get along with the person, you don't want to hire jerks, but you know, fit is about making sure the person's aligned with the mission. And it also helps, I think, when you are interviewing a candidate for your, your department or your team and that candidate asks you, what's your leadership philosophy or your leadership style? Having a mission really helps you kick out an answer right away. I, I've been on both sides of that coin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bye. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long form content like podcast episodes or YouTube videos into Capshow and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Like somebody asked me before I had a mission statement or a credo and I was like, all right, what sounds good? Okay. I'm collaborative. I, um, I support the growth of my employees. I mean, you could tell I was making it up on the fly and the lady's like, mm, okay. And she's like n- taking notes. And I felt like I was under the microscope because I was, you know, an interview should be mm-hmm. two ways. And this, this lady reminded me of that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. okay, I got to change this. And sure enough, my own leader, um, it was just where I was in my career. And she was like, all right, now it's time for you to develop your own leadership credo. And I'm like, okay, cool. So the next time I interviewed somebody, I got asked the same question. I'm like, are people being coached to ask this now? This is so cool. But I mean, that time I was like, boom, this is what I believe in. I'm a people centered servant leader who believes that your success as an individual pours into my success as a leader of the team, uh, pours into the success of everybody on the team and the organization plus our customers. Um, so the way I lead is I like to have collaborative meetings and projects. I like to hear from everybody on the team because it gives me the best information. And then what you can expect is a an environment where you can grow, where you can seek your goals to grow your career. And um, as a result, I think that'll, you know, we'll find alignment uh, in our own stuff. You know, I'm paraphrasing my own credo right now, but it was something like that. I was like, Boom, instantaneous. And I saw that candidate smile and like she pretty much begged to join the team. And uh, in the end, I had to not hire anybody because we had to like do a hiring freeze. And that was so sad. Right. But I had my triumph. I was like, yes. <laughs> I, would, I would sometimes mess with people because I have that kind of a sense of humor if they would <laughs> ask that question, depending on the circumstance. One time I was in a group interview. I had a bunch of faculty and staff in the room. I was interviewing for a provost position. Yeah. And I had the library said, because a lot of provosts tend to, you know, they forget about the staff rather than the faculty. And and she's in the head of the library said, 
what what is your attitude towards staff? And I said, well, but the staff, I mean, I watch them very closely. I look over their shoulders all the time. And I just went on and on like I was a micromanager. And I just watched her face change. And I said, nah, I'm messing with you. No, I don't do that. <laughs> you know, no, you're you're an expert. You're 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 a content expert. You're an expert in your field. I trust you, you know, to do your job and I'll work with you and set goals and blah, 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 blah. And uh the, the look on her face that was was classic. Um <laughs> And the, the president, I didn't realize, but the president of the college was in the room at the time and he just burst out laughing. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's another I got way. That job too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's another way to see like alignment too. Like, uh, cause I, I do something similar whenever I went in for job interviews was, uh, cause you know, people would tell me, Hey, you know, put your best foot forward, you know, put the humor in check, um, you know, be very serious when you go in there. And, and, um, and I, I would tell folks like, why would I want to do that? Because, if I do that, I'm presenting them somebody who has no personality, or at least in my opinion, no personality. I need to make sure that my personality, not, you know, that I don't just have the skills and the knowledge that can help this team go where they need to go. I need to make sure I can come in here every single day, Monday through Friday, uh, for eight to nine hours a day and not go mad. And so I, I let my personality come out during the job interview because I got to read that room. I got to, I got to see, is this person picking up on my vibe? Am I able to pick up on their vibe? Uh, you know, can I joke about, you know, my approach to how I treat the staff and, and then turn around and say, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I, who would want to work for somebody like that? And, uh, right. and then to see the president of the college in the back of the room, you know, laughing, it's like, yeah, okay. I can work here. <laughs> um, yeah, this guy had a big, big laugh too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I found my people. <laughs> That's what I discovered. He was in the room. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, now, this might be a big, hairy, audacious goal for me to try to get us to tackle. Uh, but in your work as an executive coach, uh, you know, you, you're certified as a tiny habits coach as well. <laughs> and I'm sure that's a part of all that. Uh, what In what way can tiny habits, like what are tiny habits? And then in what way can they help uh, a leader you know, get away from being a boss and becoming more of a leader and, and becoming that mission driven type of. Leader. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to start with, um, the, the, it's, it's hard to be succinct with tiny habits, right? It's pretty, <laughs> pretty complex involved, but it's easy, you know, at the same time, it, it's fascinating that way. Um, but it, it, I'm going to start with the fact that the best way to find out about tiny habits, the two best ways is one by the book, tiny habits by BJ Fogg. And the other is, and, and you, it's, it's also, there's a, um, an an audible version of it as well read by BJ Fogg. And um, the other thing is to go to tinyhabits.com and sign up for the five-day program, which is five days to get three new habits. Um, and and you work with coaches, uh, Tiny Habits coaches. I used to coach in that program. And um, you will learn a great deal about the basics of Tiny Habits hands-on that way, if you don't want to read the whole book. But I recommend the book. So what is Tiny Habits? Tiny Habits was... Um, Founded, created, um, discovered by B.J. Fogg, who is a Stanford researcher. He's a he runs their behavior change um, lab at Stanford, and he made a few discoveries. One of the first things is what's called the the Fogg behavioral model. All behavior consists of three factors. The first is motivation, right? Whether you want to do something or not. The second is ability, whether something is easy to do or not. And the third is a prompt right? Something gets you to do it, right? You're, you're, you're crossing the street and a car comes at you, you jump back. That car is your prompt, right? It's not always that dramatic, 
Um, it could just be somebody asking, please donate money. Um, but something is prompting you and it can be internal. So the motivation, um, you know, we, we tend to focus on that when we talk about behavior. And the problem with that is motivation fluctuates wildly. And if you want uh, one great example, walk into a gym in the month of January and then go and walk into that same gym in the month of February. Right? Yeah. You'll see a mob scene in, in, in January and nobody in February. Why? Because in January, um, and the, and the, the writer Daniel Pink explains why this is true in his book when, but in January, people are flocking to the gym because they're motivated to go work out. By February, that motivation has passed, okay? And it's like a mass psychosis, right? Everybody's motivated and then they're not. Um, but that's just human nature. So motivation, it turns out to be a very bad way to manipulate behavior because even if you do it, it's only temporary. You never can control it. Ability though, whether something's easy to do or hard to do, something's easy to do. And this is one of BJ's great insights. Something's easy to do. Motivation almost doesn't matter, right? If I tell you, if, if, if I give you a prompt, I say, pick a penny off the table. And you're like, okay, I'll pick a penny off the table, right? If, if I tell you to pick up that 50 pound rock off the ground, you're going to go, what? No, <laughs> right? You, there's no motivation to do it. You have no reason to do it. And it's hard, right? So, um, you know, that's base, the basics of the fog behavioral model. One of BJ's other great insights is that um, you can take the you can you can look at habits and stack them on other things you already do, right? You want to develop a new habit, find something you already do, a routine, another habit. You brush your teeth every day. Do something. Stack it onto brushing your teeth every day. You know, when I brush my teeth, I am going to then floss. Okay, that kind of a thing. So, um, and the other thing he adds into that is what locks in a habit. Well, you've been told that um, maybe it's 21 days to a new habit. No, no. 90 days to a new habit. No. Six months to a new habit. No. I've seen all of these. All of them are nonsense. What locks in a new habit has nothing to do with time. It is emotion. Drives a habit is emotion. That's what locks it in. And so BJ, being a very positive guy, says, you want to develop a new habit, celebrate it immediately. And that celebration will lock it in. And this is true. Now, give you an example of a habit that you may have developed in the past um, decade or so, almost instantly, okay? People who are old enough will remember flip phones. Flip phones were nice. They were convenient. They weren't very interesting. You didn't find yourself picking up a flip phone and saying, I wonder what's going on with my flip phone now. Then one day, the iPhone comes out, and all of a sudden, everybody has smartphones, right? And the first time you look at a smartphone, it's designed in a way that's, it's, well, it's supposed to give you an emotional rush. Right? There's always pretty colors and lights and things happening and apps and all this stuff. Right, So when you look at it, you're like, that's interesting. And you have this emotional response, very positive. You kind of crave it. So then all of a sudden, maybe a minute later, you say, I wonder what's going on with my iPhone. I wonder what's going on with my smart smartphone. And you've looked at it ever since. You developed a habit in one instant because you had that emotional response. Yeah. So dopamine is you know, a powerful, powerful yeah. <laughs> chemical. And so you can use this to also, you can do things, you can change your mindsets using tiny habits by starting with your behaviors, right? If you react a certain way, say you ruminate over, right? You get bad news. Your boss comes in at the end of the day. I had actually had a, a coaching client who had this very, very issue a few weeks ago. Coach came to him at the end of the day, said, oh, uh, I mean, boss came in at the end of the day, said, I need you to do this thing and it's got to be done by tomorrow. And in the past, he would have just been fuming and ruminating, blah, 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 blah. And we talked a lot about his rumination and, and how he could recognize it and how he could react to it. 
And instead, what he did was he just closed his computer. He had plans to go out with his friends, and he went out with his friends. And the next day, he woke up, and guess what? He opened his computer, the project was still there, and it looked much easier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he knocked it out in no time when he was fresh and, and clear-eyed. You know, so you can use tiny habits to, to build a habit, what we call a, a tiny habit recipe, around something like that. Um, so it, it's sometimes a little hard to identify your emotions, but if you get good at identifying your emotions, you sit there and you say, okay, well, when I start ruminating, if, you know, when I realize I'm ruminating, I will stop, pause, walk away from my work, and then I will celebrate that, okay? In the case of my client, he didn't celebrate that, so I told him he better, he better start because otherwise it wasn't going to lock in. Um, and he started, and then he found himself in similar situations that did exactly the same thing. It became a habit, and it felt good. Um, that's a tiny habit recipe. So a tiny habit recipe is you find something you already do, positive or negative, it doesn't matter. You find something you already do, and you tack a, ham, a, a habit onto it. Um, the classic habit is what BJ calls the Maui habit, because he developed it in Maui, I guess. Um, and very, very simple. When you wake up, you do something that tells you wake up. You know, usually it's not wake up itself because that's a little fuzzy, but you know, you, maybe you sit up, put your feet on the floor. Some people really aren't awake until they get in the bathroom and start brushing their teeth or something. Um, so whatever it is, when you look in the mirror, when you put your feet on the floor, you know you're awake. You say to yourself, today is going to be a great day. And then you celebrate, throw your arms up, do whatever it is that, that makes you feel a sense of success and accomplishment, and which BJ calls the shine. He calls it the emotion of shine the emotion of success. You feel shine. That will lock in that habit. And then when you start your day that way, that can alter the entire trajectory of your day. I find when I started doing that, my mornings went a lot better. Mornings used to be tough for me. And all of a sudden it was like, I just felt this positive thing. First thing in the morning, first thing in the morning. Um, and that's a perfect example of, of a recipe. Another classic is um, a lot of people want to work out and they're like, oh, I got to go do 50 push-ups. Well, you know, okay, maybe you can do 50 push-ups if you're not going to be real motivated for very long. Yeah. <laughs> so find something you do. And it, there's a there's one another classic recipe is the pee and push-up recipe, right? Every time I pee, I'm going to go and do not push, not 50 push-ups, one push-up or two push-ups. Or I'm just going to get down on the floor in a push-up position. Or it could be squats, whatever, whatever exercise you want. But I'm just going to do one or two. And then I'm going to celebrate it. I started that about a year ago. And now I can knock out 50 push-ups like it's nothing, right? And I do, you know, every time I use the bathroom, I do like 25, 30 push-ups. So by the end of the day, I've done well over 100 push-ups, right? And, and, and I'm like, read the bathroom. Yeah, I'm thinking like for the listeners at home uh, listening to this or in your car, uh, I don't think Jim does this like in a public restroom. Like you're not going to see him drop and do 25 push-ups in, or in front of a urinal. Uh, you work from home, I think, if I remember correctly. I work from home, yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, and, and, and everybody. You're going to do something else, obviously, um, adjust for your own needs. Um, and, and actually, technically, for me, it's actually opening the bathroom door that does it. Yeah. So when I open the bathroom door... I drop and do push-ups. See, there we go. That's the clarity that my friend Sean needed to hear. So uh, you're welcome, Sean. <laughs> Sean's rolling his eyes at me right now. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm glad that we were able to cover this stuff, especially like, you know, triggering those those small changes. Um, you know, I think I had uh, Dr. Ed Slover on a, a few months ago, and he talked about those incremental changes are what really help us drive that needle. Because if, like for me, like, I learned if I walk 45 minutes a day, three times a week, I'll actually shed the pounds that I want to. But then when it's time to go walk, I'm like 45 minutes. But then I'm like, why don't I start with five and yeah. start working my way up? Now I'm doing the 45 minutes, but, um, 
it, it had to build up to it. I had to, you know, keep tacking on time as I went out there and did more. Uh, You're planning a scene. Yeah. When you do. Yeah. Habits is exactly what it is, and they grow into larger habits. Or sometimes they're just reminders. Yeah, you just need to remember to do some, drink some water in the morning, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now I know uh, folks can find you at guidanceforgreatness.com. dot uh, com. Yep. You've got your own podcast called On Leading with Greatness. I recommend you guys take a listen to it, subscribe to it, leave him a review um, because we want to rid the world of the scourge of bad bosses. We don't want you to be that guy who is the bad boss. Be be the the inspiration for somebody's career, not the cautionary tale. Uh, now you've got a freebie you give away. It's a toolkit for transformation. Can you tell yep. us a little bit about that freebie that people can get? Yeah. So if you go to Guides for Greatness and sign up, you get you get that and a, and a motivational tool. Um, so it, it's it's a simple acronym, GREAT, G-R-E-A-T, and it helps you to um, focus your leadership right away. Okay. I'm not going to go into the details because I want you to sign up. <laughs> so I don't reveal too much, but it's, it's a, um, it, it helps you um, develop your leadership skills in a very clear and succinct way. One of my things, and one of, one of the reasons Tiny Habits appeals to me is because I've long been a fan of KISS. Keep it simple, stupid, right? I've long been a fan of Occam's Razor, the idea that you don't add things when you're trying to figure out a problem. Don't create, you know, don't say, you know, something from the outside did it. Just look at what the evidence you have. Things that are simple um, are usually truer, right? Or at least certainly graspable. Um, so the more complex something is, um, probably the more unreliable it is. Woody Guthrie said that uh, it, it, it's easy to make something complicated. It's extremely simple. It's extremely difficult to make something simple, um, you know, and that that's a fact. And so it takes more skill to do something simple, but it also means that you can use simple things as tools. Tiny habits is a simple one push-up leads to fifty push-ups eventually, right? It plants a seed, and that's the way the world basically works. We're not, we don't just, we shouldn't just be jumping in and doing everything all at once. Um, so that's what this tool does. It helps you transform your leadership in very, very simple ways. I love that. And I know if people want to book you for a speaking engagement, a workshop to ask you a question, uh, a vital question about Bob Dylan, um, they can email you at info at, uh, guidanceforgreatness.com as well. Uh, before we go, any final words of wisdom, whether they're from you or inspired by Bob Dylan? Oh, I'm inspired by Bob Dylan. <laughs> I never get to oh, say that boy, on the show, okay. so I had to throw that That's in there. It's a whole other podcast I do. <laughs> uh, um, so, so um, Bob Dylan, one of his, one of his many great songs, very early song, he said, "Don't criticize what you can't understand." Um, I think those are incredibly powerful words. We we have a tendency when we don't grasp something to you sort of critique it and pretend that we know what is what's going on. But the fact is, we don't we don't really know. When I, when I was a kid, it used to drive me nuts when I would. I was into weird stuff like books that other kids weren't into. And I'd be reading a book and somebody'd say, oh, that's stupid. I said, why is that st- stupid? Well, I don't get it. I looked at that book. I didn't understand it. I said, well, so it's stupid because you don't understand it, right? Really, you need to <laughs> learn to understand it before you tell me that it's stupid. It's, it's got to, you know, it's, 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 you know, you need to understand things before you can critique them. I think that's an incredibly powerful line um, that's often overlooked. And, you know, it's something if we thought about that as we go through the world, as we judge the world, as we do, um, I think things would be a lot clearer for us. Awesome. Jim, it was great to have you on the show. I'm glad we were able to connect and I look forward to staying in touch with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. Wow. 
I had a great time talking with Jim. It's probably because the topic had a lot to do with what I do for a living, and that's helping leaders quell quiet quitting within 90 days. By How do, how do they stake their leadership tent? I've been talking about this for quite some time now. Uh, for years, I've been helping leaders with the soft skills to build trust, to build team cohesion, to inspire people to go out there after their goals, and as a result, help the team succeed. And I just, I'm very passionate about it because I think if you could succeed there, it's one, a reflection of how things are going in other parts of your life. Uh, but also if you could succeed there, you are able to take a step back, look up, look forward in your life in a sense, as I said in my book, and, and really look at what does life look like for you if it were a total success in your faith, family, and career. That's what I took from this conversation. That's what I love about this topic around leadership development, because they all go hand in hand. You, you've got... You've got to really work on the inside because your success really, truly is an inside job. So there you have it. You got my two cents. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, so tell me, what did you think about this episode? Send me an email at beyond, actually, info at beyondtherut.com. Uh, so that's I-N-F-O at beyondtherut.com. Uh, and, you know, I'll tell you where the show notes are and all that good stuff. Uh, this was episode 393. So beyond the com slash 393. We'll get you there as well. Now I'm glad you joined me for this episode and I look forward to joining you on the next one, but until then go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about cap show is that they have one of the best communities ever as a cap show and myself. I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.